0: What's up, gentlemen? You are listening to the Gird UP Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach. I'm the founder and curator of GERD UP. I'm just beginning my tenure as a uh, second-time-arounder at Martin Luther College studying to be a pastor. Looking forward to um, pursuing new and different ministry um, as we get into the future. This project started, because I looked around a few years ago, um, realized that I wasn't the man I wanted to be, wasn't becoming the man I wanted to become, and didn't have a whole lot of guys I wanted to emulate in my daily life. So I rekindled uh, relationships with the men of God who had been in my life in the past. Started digging into the scriptures, started digging into the word, um, reading a lot of books about masculinity and manhood, both uh, books about Christian manhood and books about secular masculinity and manhood. Uh, and this is where the journey has led. We've got more than three hundred episodes of the podcast out there for the world to listen to, um, and now we've got something like what ten videos, some and, and a growing number because now I'm recording all the podcasts. Um, we got a number of videos <laughs> to share with the world as well. Uh, so thank you for being a part of Gird Up. Thank you for supporting our ministry, whether it's uh, monetarily or simply uh, with your prayers. Not simply—it's a big deal. Uh, please continue to keep us in your prayers. Um, keep me and my in your prayers as as begin studying Greek and Hebrew here. I'm certainly going to need those prayers. Um, and uh, continue to pray for men all over the world. Pray for uh, liberty and justice for all in our nation. Um, And if you would like to support the Gird Up podcast, you can do so by reaching out to me or by finding us on Patreon. All that information is at the end of the show. Today we're going to talk about the world that we live in right now and some of the issues going on in society around us. Um, So let's strap in, get ready for this. We're going to get after it today on the Gird Up podcast. Here we go. The things going on in the world right now. Um, there's very few people, if any, I can imagine watching this if you don't know what is going on in the world around us. There's two major ones, kind of three major ones uh, at the moment that are just big, scary, um, terrifying, frankly, things that are going on in our nation. Um, the first is COVID-19. There's still people getting sick, there's still people dying, um, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any agreement on how to address the situation, how to move forward, what is okay and what isn't okay, how we should feel about it, Um, and the really bizarre thing is Christians oftentimes, actually, and several times have come under attack in this whole COVID-19 thing with people saying that our ideology and our faith actually makes the world more dangerous because um, we have a... We're not afraid to die, basically. We're willing to put other people's lives at risk because we're not afraid to die. And I never thought of that perspective before. Uh, They're not wrong. (laughs) Um, uh, But also, um, it's just a weird time to be alive in that regard. Um, And everybody disagrees about masks and what to do and what not to do and all that kind of stuff. Uh, The second thing going on in our world right now is this wild political climate that we're living in. Um, There's an election coming up. Our uh, incumbent president is hated by the masses and loved by the masses. Uh, It seems like our country is pretty much split right down the middle. If the last election is any indicator, we are almost split exactly down the middle. Um, And it's a lot of people that are terrified about what the outcome is going to be of this next election. And then, of course, there's... Um, The racial unrest that's going on around us right now, there's all kinds of politics attached to that as well. And there's a whole lot of people that just don't know what the truth is. And and I won't say I'm not one of them. Um, It's just a scary and confusing time to be alive. It's not like anything else um, that people from my generation have experienced before. Um, We've never been this divided as a nation um, in my entire lifetime. Now, that's not to say that we haven't been divided as a nation before. In fact, um, this is a big deal, and we do need to deal with it, but it's not the first time this has happened in American history. Um, not even close. And it's not—it's the third or fourth time. So people that are like baby boomers or are a little bit younger than that, this is like the third or fourth time they've seen this kind of unrest um, in our nation. And we always come out of it fairly unscathed. Um, but it doesn't make it any less scary while it's happening. It doesn't make it any less... Um, frustrating and, and even sometimes terrifying that we have to deal with situations such as this. and it's also not one of those things where you can just say, oh, we'll wait it out. things will get back to normal. They won't. And if we just sit quietly and wait it out, um, things are not going to return to normal the way we want them to. Things are not going to return to a healthy middle if the um, both sides of the spectrum and the people sitting in the middle sit quietly and don't say a word. And so, Um, We need to be active right now. We need to be having conversations. We need to be talking. We need to be fighting for liberty and justice for all in whatever form that takes. We need to trust that God is going to lead us in that direction. Um, But the question that many many Christians are asking right now um, is something to the effect of, you know, why is this happening? Or why is God letting this happen? Why is God doing this to us? Um, Is God punishing us? And that question has come up quite a bit, especially at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. And again, um, a couple of weeks into the racial protests and racial unrest, um, people were asking this question. I think continue to ask this question, um, especially people who don't have a solid faith background are pointing at the sky and saying, why is God doing this to us? Is God really punishing us? And to answer this question, we have to start with semantics because semantics are important, and the way we use words are important. Um, and so, first, I need to establish what punishment is versus consequences, because they are not the same thing. Punishment and consequences are not the same. Um, punishment is when authority intervenes and causes something to happen that wouldn't have otherwise happened, um, as like for the purpose of deterring similar future behaviors. So, uh, if somebody's caught stealing, we punish them so that more people won't steal right um, and that goes for all kinds of different punishments um, so for example jail time would be punishment you're not gonna it's not a natural consequence of what you've done sitting in prison for a year or for 30 years or whatever it is isn't a natural consequence for murder like that's just not normally what would happen in nature. It's a punishment meant to deter future behaviors such as that. Uh, the electric chair, like corporal punishment, no, capital punishment and corporal punishment too, would be um, punishments meant to deter future behavior in such a way. Um, the one, other one that I thought of was back in school we had to write sentences. Yeah, That wasn't a natural consequence of what we were doing. Um, The natural consequence for talking over the top of the teacher is not writing sentences. It's a punishment that's meant to keep you from doing those things again in the future and deter other people from doing them as well. And that's opposed to consequences, which are the natural effect of our actions, the natural thing that will happen because of our actions, right? Um, So if you cheat on your spouse or your girlfriend, they're not going to trust you anymore. You end up single and alone, right? Um, uh, If you touch a hot iron, you're going to get burned. Um, if you poke a dog, you're going to get bit. If you start a fight, you're going to end up with a black eye. Those are natural consequences for the things that we do. Um, And a lot of times parents and teachers and authority figures will also use consequences, assign consequences. So natural consequences for something that we did. For example, curfew. If you show up late for curfew. If you miss curfew, now you're grounded, right? We can't trust you to go out anymore. The natural consequence for that is I'm going to take away your privilege of going out. Now you're going to be stuck at home. That's what Being grounded is right. If you cheat on a test, clearly you didn't know the answers, so we're just going to give you an F instead of proving to us that you don't know the answers. Um, If you spray graffiti on the side of a building, a natural consequence for that would be go get a scrub brush and some bleach. You are the one that's washing it. That would be a natural consequence, right? And so there is a difference between consequence and punishment. And so when we ask questions like, Is God punishing us? What we're seeing isn't God necessarily punishing us as our sins deserve because God. If he did punish us for what our sins deserve, life would be over. We'd all be sitting in hell. And praise the Lord that he doesn't punish us for, the, for our sins. And that's not what he's doing now. What we're seeing right now is God, in his wisdom, allowing us to experience some of the natural consequences of our sins. Now, people always respond to that with, well, we're not the ones that sinned. Our ancestors aren't the ones that held slaves. Uh, my family wasn't even here. My family wasn't here during slavery either. They were still in Germany getting persecuted. That, that doesn't matter in this particular context because we're not talking about you and me individually. We're talking about our nation as a whole, and our nation as a whole has a history of sin. As the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 20, verse 5, the NIV says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now that uses the word punishment, but there's actually a better translation. The ESV um, doesn't translate it as punish, because it really shouldn't be translated as punish. Uh, The ESV says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for the Lord your God... I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So you and I might never have been slave owners. We might never have been racially prejudiced. We might actively be working against racial prejudice and injustice. And many of us, if you're, if you're sitting here watching a video about Christian manhood, you're probably fit into that category of someone who's actively working against it in your daily light, doing everything they can to be a light shining in the darkness. Right? And as a Midwesterner, just like I kind of said earlier, as a Midwesterner, as someone from the community I grow up, grew up in, I can say that actually my community and my family have a pronounced history of always being anti-slavery and always being anti-racism from beginning to end all the time. In fact, the community that I grew up in is a really special one. It's a community um, that not only was active It was an active hub of the uh, Underground Railroad on the way to getting to Canada in in the Underground Railroad. Um, But it sent one of the largest state armies to Civil War, to fight in the Civil War, and they were renowned as being one of the most patriotic and bravest units in uh, the Union Army during the Civil War. And they also had a reputation for taking in um, freed slaves and black men who were not allowed to serve in other units. They'd take them into their unit. They would allow them to serve alongside them um, and fight for their own freedom. So they had a great reputation for being anti-slavery and anti-bigotry and all that kind of stuff. And the cemetery that my grandparents are buried in, uh, in that very cemetery, there's almost an acre of civil war graves of not soldiers who fought in the civil war and died later but soldiers who died serving in the army in the union army during the civil war there's almost an acre of graves in that city cemetery um, because they gave such a tremendous sacrifice for the cause of freedom for the cause of justice for the cause of liberty for all that's the kind of community I come from. In fact, they even have more history than that. They were one of the first. They actually there were settlements in the county that I come from where they uh, German immigrants actively helped to build encampments for freed slaves who were fleeing the South, and even helped them to set up business for themselves and become autonomous, um, and invited them to to build homes in the area and all all of that. Like it was, they have a great, awesome history of being against all of this bigotry and nonsense but that doesn't change the fact that our nation as a whole still has some very serious wounds and scars that need to heal and there are wonderful places like test city and like the county that i came from where racism is pretty much dead but across the country we still have a lot of issues going on um and we still have a lot of scars that need to heal Sometimes we forget that racism and bigotry didn't end in 1868 when the Civil War ended. It didn't end uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. We're only three or four generations removed from Freedom Riders and from the protesters who showed up to hear Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, that Marsha M. Washington and all the Edmund Pettus Bridge, all of that. Most of those people are still alive and they're still living today. And most of the people that were actively working against justice are also alive and still here today. We're not three or four generations removed from a lot of the sins that our fathers and our nation has committed in history. We're less than two generations removed from the war on drugs. I personally love Ronald Reagan. I think he was a great president and a wonderful man. But the implementation of the policies in the war on drugs were sometimes even overtly racist, and they were highly prejudiced, and they kind of spurred off what has now become the mass incarceration of black males. We have all kinds of racial issues that still have not healed. And again, just because the legislation changed doesn't mean the hearts of the people changed. All of these people that were racist on both sides, on every side, because there are people who are racial bigots on every side— There's a myth going on around right now that says that minority populations can't be racist. That's not true. Racism is just as prevalent there as it is everywhere else. Those people are still having conversations. They're still talking. They're still living. Like the kids growing up in the communities I just served in Milwaukee are the grandchildren of the last set of protesters, right? They... It's not something that went away the moment the legislation changed and we were no longer legally allowed to segregate and separate blacks and whites. Most Americans today, especially Americans, young Americans in our generation, are not racially prejudiced. They're not bigoted about race. And oftentimes we even take it way too far in the opposite direction and we get woke and <laughs> actually becomes like race. It's like pre- prejudice against the majority almost it turns into kind of bizarre things sometimes because we're so woke our nation though still has serious wounds to heal as we talk about this i am not going to get into the politics of black lives matter i'm not going to start talking about individual politicians and trying to figure out whether or not they're racist It's not the purpose of this podcast. It's not my job to do that here. You need to go find the information and make conclusions for yourself. Think independently and make conclusions for yourself. But besides the point, as the Church of God, we need to look past the politics of all of this and understand we still have a job and a duty to do as the hands and feet of Jesus. As a Christian, the point is that you and I are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as a nation, we are not actively the hands and feet of Jesus right now. And we haven't been for a very long time. Some would argue we maybe never even were. Um, but while the numbers in our uh, the numbers say that Christianity is the main religion in our nation, it's the number one religion in our nation. The truth is that Bible-believing Christians who truly know and love the Father and worship in spirit and in truth are a minority here. There's a whole lot of American Christians. There's a large segment of American Christianity that doesn't really truly believe what the Bible says about God and about Jesus. Most American Christianity has totally lost Christ. Many American Christians aren't true believers. They don't actually believe what the Bible says. What we're seeing right now in American Christianity is a combination, this weird veiled combination of evangelicalism and pastor worship. And we see it rampant. That's most, if not all, of our megachurches around the United States, are dealing with those very issues. Instead of having a focus and emphasis on what God says and what God teaches and what Scripture says, we have this emphasis on being all about me all the time. And it's the same issue among the church and among our nation. It's the same reason we have uh, unrest and, and, and bigotry in the church. It's the same reason we have unrest and bigotry across our nation right now. You have a lot of people that make statements like, I follow so-and-so because I like their message. Or I follow so-and-so because you know they line up with my beliefs. Or I follow so-and-so because I think they have the real gospel message. Right? We hear that quite a bit. We hear that quite often, especially with big people that have an, an online presence. And what this eventually leads to is people that lose their connection with the Heavenly Father and instead have a strong connection to an individual, to one person, to one preacher, to one church, They start losing the emphasis on Christ and start putting their emphasis and their focus and even their faith in an individual instead of in Christ. What ministers are teaching us across the United States, what American ministers overwhelmingly are teaching, is that if you become good, as you become more and more good, as you become more and more Christian, as your faith grows, either... God's going to rain blessings on your head, and now you're going to have this blessed life where good things always happen to you. Or you're going to slowly but surely stop sinning, and you're not a real Christian unless you do good things. And here's my, as your pastor, here's my list of approved good works that if you do these things, that means you have live and living faith. And because I have the list, I hold the keys to everlasting life, and you must go through me to get to heaven. And some pastors even do a mixture of both. But that is not what the Bible teaches. In other words, what they're saying is, you've got to be good, and you got to be good, and the more good you are, the better you are, the closer you are to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches, and it takes the emphasis off of Christ and puts the emphasis back on me. And so, many American Christians aren't actually connected to Jesus anymore. We're connected to some dude who has a pulpit and a ministry. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good. But when he says these people are zealous to win you over, but for no good... He's talking about people trying to make you zealous for their ministry. He's talking about people trying to make you zealous for their cause, for their issue, and not zealous for Christ. They want you to be zealous for them, not for Jesus. They want to own you. They want to be able to manipulate you and own you and make you act a certain way, behave a certain way, that brings them glory and them power and them wealth and them riches. Paul says it's fine to be zealous if the purpose is good. But you and I don't decide what's good. Society doesn't decide what's good. Culture doesn't decide what's good. Good is God's righteousness. God decides what is good and he commands us to do what is good. In fact, he sets us free to do what is good. He sets us free so that we can be good in the world. He sets us free so that we can choose to do the things that glorify him. And that's why I actually really like the term social justice warrior. I think social justice warrior is the exact right term for what these people are and what they're doing and what they're saying and the way that they're acting. See, a warrior has a specific definition. A warrior is a brave and experienced soldier. And a soldier also has a clear definition. A soldier is someone who is paid to fight. So a warrior, as is defined in English, is a brave, experienced mercenary, someone who is paid to be a brave and experienced soldier. In other words, it's conditional servitude. I will risk my life. I will fight your battles for you if you give me a reward. In our military, it's money, right? In the social justice world, it's access to wealth and power. It's morality. We see this social justice cause as God. We end up, even though we've been set free by the blood of Jesus, chaining ourselves to a new burden, to a new yoke, and instead of just following Jesus and doing what is right in God's eyes and in God's sight— Instead of doing that, we chain ourselves to a new ideology, to a new purpose, to a new fight that isn't God's righteousness and justice. Galatians 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't give yourselves over to a new master. You've been set free from the burden of sin, from the yoke of sin. Don't go put on a new yoke now and chain yourself to another cause, chain yourself to another set of morality and to rules. He sets us free to do what is good and right. That's righteousness. And following the will of the Father is true righteousness. Now, of course, you and I can't do this. And God knows that, so he paints a picture for us. It's the story of the sheep and the goats, right? In the story of the sheep and the goats, on the last day, this is a parable Jesus told, on the last day, God separates the sheep from the goats. And he looks at the goats and he says, you, know, you, never, uh, you never fed me when I was hungry. You never visited me when I was sick. You never clothed me when I was naked. You never gave me water when I was thirsty. You never visited me and comforted me when I was mourning. And since you didn't do any of those things for me, you didn't really love me. And they say, when did we ever see you? you know, naked and or thirsty or hungry. When did we ever see you in prison? When did we ever see you mourning? And he said, anytime you saw one of my children in this state, you should have helped them because when you take care of them, you take care of me, right? When you serve them, you serve me. And so he also looks at the sheep. And he says, You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You cared for me when I was sick. You comforted me when I was mourning. You visited me when I was in prison. You gave me water when I was thirsty. And he said, When did we ever see you that way, Lord? And he said, Anytime you did one of these things for one of my children, you did it for me. You and I can't be perfect. But we can consistently be righteous. We can consistently pursue righteousness, and we don't do that because we want to go to heaven. We don't. Want, we do that in order to prove our faith. We don't do that because we think it's going to make us better in God's sight. We can't be any better in God's sight than He sees us through the blood of Jesus. He sees us as His perfect children. Instead, as a Christian, I abandon the rules of the world. I abandon the rules of society. And I just follow Jesus wherever he leads and do what he commands me to do, do what he asks me to do. And as a Christian, since I abandoned the rules of the world, both the right and the left politically, both both political conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats, everybody who doesn't love Jesus the way I do is going to see me negatively because they can't control me. That's exactly what Paul says in Second uh, ver- Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he says, To the one we are the smell of death, and to the other the fragments of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. It's not about me. It's about loving our Heavenly Father and advancing the kingdom. And the exact same issue is true in our nation right now. In a secular sense, our nation is divided. Our, our unrest is no accident. Our unrest is not an accident at all. It's all the work of the devil, both unrest in the church and outside of the church. It's all the work of the devil. In Second Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to give, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for our sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. Paul knows that the solution to all things is love on all sides. And if I love, if everybody on all sides loves each other, we're going to forgive each other. We're going to get past uh, wrong hurts. We're going to get past hurt feelings. We're going to get past um, the scars and the wounds that our nation and our church has faced. And we're going to be able to live in peace and unity. But the devil doesn't want that because in our nation right now, we have something that very few countries across the world and across time have ever had and that's freedom of religion and freedom of speech. In other words, the gospel and its truth and purity can be preached to anyone at any time in any fashion. The devil doesn't like that because it's free reign for us to talk about the overwhelming and wonderful love of God. And so Satan seeks to destroy our opportunity to share the message, and he does that in two ways. He either distorts the message like we just talked about and turns it into nonsense or even something that's absolutely vile, or he takes Christians who do love God who do want to serve him and he distracts and diverts them and seduces them into other things what we're not what we should be seeing what God commands is widespread righteousness but instead what we're seeing is widespread condemnation and God comes down squarely on the side of righteousness he says he tells us that the ministry that condemns again Paul writing in 2 Corinthians he says if the ministry that condemns men is good and glorious, how much more glorious is the, is the ministry that brings righteousness? We should call out sin and condemn it. But what we're seeing right now is widespread condemnation instead of righteousness. What we're seeing is everybody mounting up on their side and accusing the other side of being immoral and wrong. And, and the most obvious example of this, the biggest symptom of this, is a two-party system. Uh, And obviously we have a two-party political system right now, even though our nation was never set up for that. We have a two-party political system. But almost every issue in politics right now is divided into two categories. You can't be pro-life and pro-women at the same time? Are you kidding me? Um, You can't be be a little bit conservative and a little bit liberal. You can't be against Black Lives Matter if you're not for white supremacy. There's no gray area, right? You can't – it's either you wear a mask or you hate grandma – Like, there has to be a middle ground somewhere. There has to be. But we don't see it. And this two-party system kills independent thought. It promotes tribalism. And tribalism eliminates any civil discourse at all whatsoever because tribalism says, I must be the opposite of you. I must be the antithesis of you. I must be the enemy of you at all times. No matter what morality says, no matter what religion says, no matter what I actually believe to be the truth, I will set myself up to be opposite of you no matter what. So we end up with this weird time when there's no gray area, no common ground, no redeeming qualities in the other end of the argument, no compromise. Um, There's no merits in the opposite end of the spectrum. There's no no independent thought. It's all groupthink all the time because I have to think like my tribe. If you disagree with us, you are immoral. And that's not true. It's not right. And as Christians, we need to recognize that the devil is luring us into this trap. He's trying to get us to a point where this is more important to us than loving and following our Heavenly Father. He's trying to get us to a point where we actually do start to hate each other because of political issues. Instead of being love, instead of being the face of God's love, instead of being the light shining in the darkness, we start to hate each other. We start to disrespect each other we start to devolve into the wickedness and sin that surrounds us every day as conservative christians who believe the bible who believe that what god says is true who worship in spirit and in truth we are in a minority and political extremes are always going to see us see us as a threat because they cannot control us because there's only one being who does control us it's our heavenly father who has earned the right to tell us how to live by sending his son to wash us clean. And he tells us, you are unable to be righteous on your own. But I will work in you, and I will give you the ability to be righteous. Now go be free and do what is good and love and forgive each other. Remember that when you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and you see something you don't agree with. Remember that when you're watching the news and you know that what you're hearing might not be the truth. Remember that when people make crazy accusations about each other and about politicians and about uh, the opposite political party. And most of all, remember that when you're choosing which side to be on, when you're choosing how to vote, when you're choosing what to say online, what to say in person, remember that anyone who puts themselves in the place of God is trying to control you. Anytime someone tries to tell you how to think, you need to recognize it as such, and you need to turn back to your Heavenly Father and say, Lord, what do you say? Lord, what would you have me do? That's true humility, and that is going to help you live a righteous life. It's going to help the fruits of the Spirit come out, and it's going to help our nation restore to liberty and justice for all, and to find peace again and unity and joy and identity as a nation with that being said go be the man that god created you to be i love you all see you next time thank you for listening to the gird up podcast If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as GERDUP underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.